welcome to the Dementia Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Cunningham. And in this edition, we're going to be tackling the thorny subject of would I lie to you when telling the truth may be hurtful or harmful. To have this discussion, I thought it was time to have our first of many panel discussions to allow us to discuss things that are not always straightforward. We are in this discussion talking about people with advanced dementia where short and long-term memory as well as communication are significantly impacted. Now, White Lies is where we're going to start this discussion with our experienced panel. I suspect before this discussion that my position on the phrase White Lies will not change in that I don't see it fitting with care planning and using various techniques like validation, redirection, and at times using reality orientation. That said, it all is key on a team approach and a care plan. While the term white lies may be used as a shorthand for a harsher truth, it's interesting that the Dementia Truth Inquiry, a report undertaken by the UK Mental Health Foundation, didn't use the term. And it was very clear. Lies is a blatant untruth, but they did actually have untruths as a second category, which is when probably it would fit more with that white lies terminology. But it's very relevant for us to explore this issue because 96% of care staff do admit to at times using an untruth under that category. And indeed, it's not much lower in nurses with about 87% of people reporting that they've also used that strategy. So my panel today are made up of Ruth and Donna, who are care workers, Angela Regis, a nurse who has over 25 years experience of working in dementia care, and firstly, Hammond Care's chief executive, Mike Baird. Now, Mike, Billy Graham was very straightforward about this. He said, a white lie is a sin, pure and simple. What are your thoughts on this complex issue? Well, I think that's um, quite a black and white view <laughs> would be my response, Colin. And I think um, you start as a, as a premise that lying is not good. Um, you know, you, we've all kind of experienced the impact and sometimes the deep hurt and the sometimes devastation uh, of lying. But you then roll into particular circumstances, you know, whether it be um, in public life, there are, there's information that you have um, that could infuse panic across a community. So, so how do you kind of share information in a way that is considered and in everyone's interests, you know, or if we take it applicably here, in dementia care, are there times and circumstances uh, where understanding uh, the individual deeply um, and trying to care for them in a way that reduces stress where, call it a white lie, might make sense. And, you know, so I think the the response would be, um, Billy Graham, that's a bit too black and white. So, Angela, um, the dictionary would say it's to avoid a harsh truth. What is it in practice? In dementia care? Mm-hmm. The, I, I think that the terminology, it, we could get caught up on whether or not it's a lie or not a lie. The reality of looking after someone who is cognitively impaired is that the harsh truth or a white lie can equally either help the person or not. And so you have to know and understand the person that you're providing care for to then be able to say, is it the truth that is going to help this person through a period of distress? And that can sometimes be seconds, but it can also sometimes be hours, days, weeks, months, years. And so being able to know who that person is 
And what is it that that person is seeking in a particular situation? And being able to respond with compassion to meet the needs of the person and reduce distress. Donna, have you been confronted with this sort of situation and what do you do? Yes, I have. Uh, Do you know, I actually had a gentleman um, back in the day in the meadows who came into care. His cognitive um, ability was quite switched on. He was declining in areas, but he still knew what was happening around him. He knew that his wife was in hospital and he knew that he was in care. Um, He asked every day if he could ring his wife in the hospital. So I rang the hospital. I put him on the phone. She had a phone next to her bed and he would talk to her for a couple of minutes and it actually settled him and he was very grateful for that. Um, His son came in and she had passed away. He took his dad up to his room and told him that his wife had passed away. For days after that, he came out and wanted to ring his wife. We are, it absolutely broke my heart to have to say to him, I'm sorry, but your wife had passed away. Oh, that's right. And he lived that grief every single day. Um, before, before we actually got to that point, we were making up excuses why he couldn't ring. But we got to because and that was distressing him even more yeah. that he couldn't speak to her mm-hmm. more than saying, you know, um, your wife had passed away. So we actually got together and we decided, okay, we got a grief counsellor in, and she actually said to us, "You have to tell him every day he asks. You have to tell him that she's passed away, and eventually he will remember." And that's exactly what we did. And in the end, he actually used to thank us. Um, he would go up to his room for a couple of minutes. He would have a cry. I would go up. I'd take him up a cup of tea. We'd go for a walk. Um, and he was okay after that. He was. He actually accepted the fact that she had passed. Mm-hmm. But it was so hard to do that. It was so hard to actually, you know, I think it was harder to say to him, I'm sorry, but you can't ring her today. And we really had no reason why, except for the fact that she wasn't there to talk to but we just couldn't tell him that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually we had to. So that, that's sort of two sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. that's the difference between knowing the person and, and being exactly. situational. Definitely. I agree completely that yes. at the time that a person dies, mm-hmm. yep. a person with dementia has exactly the same right as you or I. Yep. And Raph, have you ever had the time where picking up and Donna's point where you've gone, right, it, it's not productive to keep telling them the news. And I agree with Angela, it's important to allow people to yes, grieve. Yes. But is there any point where the team have to come up with a different plan? Yes, we do multiple things. We actually try and redirect residents and see where their anxiousness is coming from. And we do that by looking at the environment. Sometimes it could be a noisy cottage. Sometimes they're just simple as needing to go to the toilet. So we try different things first and and that's getting to know the resident. That's actually learning about the resident, giving the time to the resident because it's not always about lying. But And I do the little white lies as well to keep the resident calm. It's very important. It's all. It's not about me. It's not a selfish thing that I walk away and say to myself, oh, I did a good job, I didn't lie today. It's not about that. It's actually about keeping the resident calm and reassured. I don't think that uh, I'm not a subscriber to white lies because I I, I think that some of what you are describing is about thinking what the impact is for the individual and planning for that. 
Yes. So that's why I go, well, white lines, white lies, if you look at it as a definition. Um, so you say the wrong term. That's the wrong term. Yeah. I just think that there's more uh, about the team working together for and and not just inconsistently. We've got to look yeah. at a team as how we're going to approach people. I mean, I, I think that that's so important. Well, it won't surprise anyone in this room that my strong belief in case management and the way that that has operated, you know, I can see both Raf and Donna nodding because both of you worked with me in yeah. facilities sort of many years ago where the approach was you as a key member of the team pulled together all of your colleagues with the information that you all shared and you would go through that process of problem solving yep. and talking about what you know, talking yep. about what works. So, Colm, your concept of it being about the team and it being good clinical care, being able to understand what might be the underlying need for a person and then thinking about how do we support that person, to use your words, Raph, the, the right of people feeling secure and having safety mm. and being uh being able to live freely within their environment. I think it's a good conversation to have to talk about would I lie because I, I like to call a spade a spade. So I'm not into the definitions of whether it's a lie or not a lie. You know, if, it's a, if, if I'm telling you something that is not true, then in my view, it's a lie. Mm -hmm. But if my intention is not to harm you, as Raf said, if my intention is to somehow find a way to connect with you where you are right now, which is not where you would be if your brain wasn't impaired, then that would be a much easier answer. So in trial and error, mm. you do. Sometimes you exactly. say, you know, yes, your daughter's coming. Yes. Mm -hmm. When you know full well she's not. Yeah. Yeah. But is but is that but is that my assumption is that that's a wrestle. Yeah. You know, at all times. So so there's a a challenge that you want to be as truthful as you can. You want to treat with as much respect and dignity as anyone would, whether they have dementia or not. So in the, so in that context is it a, a wrestle to that point, but understanding deeply the person, their circumstances, what the team knows and understands. Yep. And that's that, why it's so important that it's a team because it is well, a wrestle. Yep. Yes. And you have to listen to all the voices in the team. Yes. You know, how many times um, I've had discussions with, with the team about somebody's care needs and where they're at and whether mm -hmm. or not they're at that point where what we could provide them in the service they were in, whether that was beyond what mm. we were able to yeah, provide. Yeah, exactly. And, but you'd get people, you know, no, we really want to provide this person care because we've now got the relationship. And then you're looking at, mm. you know, the, the balance between that and the care of other people. Like there's so many things yeah. that the team and how you function as a team makes yeah. it possible. Look, I can tell you a story of a lady who I had for many years um, whose son passed away. She was the family did not want her to know, um, so we never told her that he had died. Um, and, you know, her daughter-in-law would always come and visit her, um, and she was very strict in the fact that she was never to know that her son passed away, so we never told her. Um, I walked into her room and we cared for her for quite a number of years before she moved to high care. Um, I walked into her room one morning and she had ripped up every photo of him, every single photo in her room, and there was multiple. Um, and I rang her daughter-in-law and I told her and I sat on the bed with her and she said, I don't want to see him anymore anyway. 
and that was her comment to me. Mm. And I went, okay, you know, you know something's mm. happening. And this was a few years later down the track. I rang her daughter-in-law, said to me, do you think she knows? And I said, yes, yeah, she does. I said, on some level she knows. She knows that she's, he's not visiting. She knows he hasn't been around and I think you should tell her. Um, and she did. Um, and and it was, you know, it sort of makes you wonder, you know, how, what her reaction would have been if she had a told her years prior. And, Mike, you recently brought up with me the concept of home because that's very interesting for us. We were very passionate about small, domestic, familiar environments, home-like. Mm. Um, but you realised recently about the issue of what we mean by home. Yeah, and, I mean, home is a place that you're safe and secure and you know in in life you can have different homes um and there's different sort of families and circumstances so being much sort of broader you know home isn't necessarily right where you are today um obviously that's our intent in terms of design and cottage to resemble as much as possible a home because that's where you're currently living but it's also understanding you know those feelings and emotions and connections go much broader um, so not shutting that down, I think, is important. Mm -hmm. But I imagine it comes up regularly, I want to go home. All the time. The time. Yeah. <laughs> Raph, you're nodding your head. All the time, all the time, every day. And I think it comes down to something a little bit more basic sometimes that I've experienced, and it happens perhaps 98% of the time, is uh, when a resident wants to go home, they're more concerned with where can I stay and they don't explain it correctly. They all say, where am I going to sleep? Do I have a bed? Once I've explained that it's okay, you're staying this evening, and they go, oh, my goodness, do I have a bed? So it's it's very stressful to them not to know where they're going to be sleeping. So I often take residents to their room, show them the board out the front of their room, and say, this is your bedroom. Oh, my goodness. And they all say the same thing. Oh, my goodness, thank you so much. And they're clutching. Mm their chest and they're so appreciative that that is their room. Now we know that therapeutic dolls can be used at times to provide comfort and help change behaviour for somebody with dementia but we've also seen them used in an infantile way. So I know the jury's out on that and indeed it's going to be an episode of our podcast but where have you seen therapeutic dolls used well? We've actually got a lady in Linden that has loves doll therapy. She cuddles it, she does everything and it actually does work for her. So when you give day. that to her, see this is this is kind of the subject of what we're talking about today. Is that a lie? Are you lying to her by giving her a doll and pretending it's a baby? Well, yeah, it's, it's well, you uh, are, yes, you but are. you are. Of but course. I'm not saying I'm not saying this. It's a lie. I'm just saying it's a baby. It's a baby. I'm just but not adding the word you know doll why, to the Occasionally, you get <laughs> yeah. um, you get the residents say, "That's not a real baby." Mm. So they, some of them actually aware that it's a doll. Oh, I think even the yeah. people who are comforted that's, by it, I right. believe that person is also aware that yes, it's not a baby. But sad. it doesn't mean that they're not comforted. That's right. And yes. so it's knowing what's connected in the memories. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. just that feeling of being, yeah. you know, being able to, to cuddle something and but getting they the don't actually believe necessarily that it's their yeah, baby. For, for yeah. Sure. yeah, that's right. You get the same reaction with do um, at when they bring their dogs and stuff in. It's the same reaction. It's like, oh, little children, oh, my God. It's like they, you know, it's exactly the same reaction. It's because it's comforting. It's, you know, they it, it gives them some emotional um, support and they can actually give that, that whether it be a doll or a pat on, on a dog's head, it's, it's emotional. 
Now, bus stops and other everyday items are sometimes incorporated into care homes. I have to say at times I've seen them used probably more often in the wrong ways and have significant concerns about them. But where have you seen bus stops used appropriately at a care approach? I think it was a familiarity for them. It was something that they got up, they went to the bus, they went shopping, they went to work, they did something, but the bus was a big thing to them. So, you know, for us to say, look, this is the bus stop, the bus is coming from here, oh, thank you so much, and they would go and sit there. You know, they didn't sit there very long, but for them it was that that one thing in, in their mind at that one particular time that they needed to do. And it actually was quite calming for them. For me, it's not a, it's not about the bus has to come, but I would prefer that if we could engage people in things that are familiar to them, like the mm. whole process, mm. catch Definitely. the bus, well, go actually catch shop, the bus. Yes. go shopping. Yeah. Yes. And I know that that's easier said than done, believe yeah. me. All right, yeah. I've been I've around long enough to shopping. know. But you have. Yeah, and a whole lot of them. Same thing applies for if somebody wants, you know, if somebody likes the idea of, of likes dogs, mm. then why can't we get that person to see a real dog? Or a real cat. We, yeah, well, we, we have, we have actual exactly. dogs coming in and they do love them. They love them. It's the same as the doll therapy like we were talking about before. Mm. And they, they, particularly when you have real animal lovers, they smother that animal like, like mm. you know, that lady I was talking about earlier with the doll. You know, she, they just love it. They love it. But unfortunately it's not, it should be a daily thing and unfortunately it's not. Back on the um, specific topic of potentially white lying, mm-hmm. um, we're using that term, um, how, from a team point of view, um, if someone's made a decision on shift, you know, that an event's come up, whether it be a grieving a lost one or, you know, where's my children, um, and our response, do we, is that part of handover? Yes, I mean, is it that, is. It is. Yeah, yeah, we can sit there and say, um, yeah. Bob's been very distressed today, so we've been telling him a Mm. Mm. So there's that consistency. It is. It's Mm. fantastic. So then they know what Mm. to tell him so he's not so worried Mm. and it follows through. And And that's really important. And you're also representing, I I, I have in front of me all the different theories about when somebody is distressed and do you lie, et cetera. And one of them, reality orientation, is what when I was trained as a nurse was the golden rule. The only thing you do is reality orientation. Clearly, the stories you've shared say depends. It's all individual. Why would you constantly keep reminding somebody? You've also talked about what's described as validation therapy, which is how do you validate what the person's asking of you? Um, so you're you're using a whole lot of skill sets as while people have put terms around them are part of that day to day and part of that teamwork. Mm. Yes, that's exactly right. And we have to work that way. It's to be effective. We have to work that way and use the teamwork and all the strategies that we've learnt along the way and to be able to hand them over and in the care plan and so that it becomes effective. So if I can pick on Mike first, you knew what the topic uh, was going to be. What what were the things this conjured up or what were the things that you came in with a strong opinion on about would I lie to you? I know. Well, I, the honest appraisal is when... I reflected on. I thought, well, no, you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. No, there's, there's, there's no way. Like that, that just makes no sense. Um, as I reflected right at the beginning, in terms of the hurt and damage that can cause, but it, you know, my thinking has been turned on its head um, because, you know, ultimately what this is about is how do we um, care deeply and personally uh, for those in front of us, and if we understand their circumstances and the grief and the actions we take 
and the words we use are all about him or her and caring deeply for him or her, then, you know, to me, it doesn't matter what terms you put on it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's really about that outcome. Caring deeply and wonderfully and personally for someone uh, means at times um, there are going to be words and actions that we will take um, that don't necessarily follow Billy Graham's rule book, uh, <laughs> but they follow their rule book and what the mm. collective team is the right thing for them at this time and this moment. And Raf, you started by saying I'm chilled out with uh, the term white lies. I'm ta- you've, you've talked a lot about what you actually yeah. get on with doing and I've sort of yeah. said that you've demonstrated uh, a number of the ways that's important yes. for people. But what, what when you were... Uh, when we asked you to come and join us, were you thinking was the important message to get across? I know it sounds ridiculous to everyone else listening in that we're lying to these people, but it's done for a reason. And we're not being nasty. We're not being harmful to these people. We're just altering the truth slightly so these people are calm and relaxed and safe. And always, I always bring back to the safety issue. It, to me, it's a fundamental right of every human to feel safe. And that's how I feel about that. And our mission in action says we do to do these things. And I really believe that. Hmm. Donna, what's your thoughts? Well, um, exactly Sorry, right. Exactly the same. You know, I, I think for every resident that has any type of anxiety or is um, has any longing to do, go home, find their family, do whatever they want to do, um, then, you know, somewhere along the line we have to help them do that. And if that takes a lie, then that takes a lie. And, you know, to get them to calm down, to get to get them to have some, some enjoyment out of that day without feeling threatened, without feeling stressed, without feeling agitated or anxious, then that's what it takes. But actually listening to you, listening to your stories, all the things that uh, we might say at the Dementia Centre Lots of your stories have actually shown validation, redirection, um, orientation, um, all of those things that are important. So you're using those skills every day. I might use certain labels to describe that. And I might still say you're not lying because actually you you are using years of experience and skill in some of what mm. you do, some some of which I go, how did you even pick up on, the, on that? But you're uh, paying attention to so much and understanding the individual. So while I'll probably stay in my camp that you're not lying, you're actually using a lot of we'll skills. We'll convince you next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to thank you all for being part of this conversation. It's been fantastic. And I know that our colleagues, not only in Hammond Care, um, but people who listen to our podcast will really appreciate those stories and the complexity of what you do. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you again to Rafe, Donna, Angela and Mike for their contributions today. And while my position remains the same that white lies is not the right term, I think we're all talking about the same thing in practice. Now, the resources we referred to throughout the discussion today are linked, including that fantastic report from the Mental Health Foundation in the UK, which I think is a really handy start on how you think about what's happening in practice in your service, as well as the views of people with dementia and others. Finally, thanks to the Dementia Podcast team for their fact-checking and putting all the work together, as well as the great resources they've linked in this podcast, and to Dementia support Australia as our sponsors today. Dementia.com.au is where you'll find a range of resources and more information on this Australian specific program.
Thank you again to you for joining us and I look forward to talking to you on the next Dementia Podcast. Bye for now.